I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. of Mormonism. This is Heart of the Matter right in Salt Lake City. We're glad you can join us. Remember, if you have friends or family that you would like for them to watch the show, tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com. They can go to the TV show, click on Watch Broadcast Live, and they can get it streaming video from anywhere in the world. Boy, have I met a lot of people this week. I've been here since Friday because of some speaking engagements. And we have a lot of shout outs, so let me be quick. Specifically, Esther, my 86-year-old friend in Ogden. God bless you, my sister, and thank you. Um, Ken, uh, for the chapter out of one, excellent chapter. A shout out to Jordan Cooper, Steve and his handsome family, Pastor Doug and Pastor Rodney, Dieta uh, and Ruby and friends, and uh, Ed Smith, Patrick, who was at the club, Shirley, who is at the cafe. Mary, I've been good. I've just been everywhere. And Maria and McCade, who are watching from who knows where. We have a great intellectual audience here tonight. I came in preparing these uh, notes, and as I'm sitting here, they're talking about things just flying over my head. We've got Kevin, Melissa, Eric, Callie, Russ, Dave, John, Cindy, Emmanuel, and Reed. So glad to have people here live and uh, watching the show. Pastor in the pub tonight um, after the show. We meet every week on Tuesday nights at 9.30 at Squatter's Pub. Uh, there's probably a graphic there on the screen for you. And uh, we meet there, uh, go till all hours until the pub closes. And listen, I'm getting flack from people about uh, being at a pub as a Christian and uh, saying, you know, I need to set a better example. Listen, just lighten up and you go to where people are and where they like to be and congregate and so uh, no more uh, letters please emails from the Christians who are complaining that they had respect for me at one time but now because we're meeting in a pub they've lost it I'm really sorry to hear that you have that view um, but on we go I was a born-again Mormon it's a book that I wrote several years ago we have it out in its second edition. You can pick it up at Benchmark Books. You can get it at uh, Calvary Chapel, uh, Salt Lake City. You can get it at Christian Gift and Bible, anywhere uh, where their stores are in Draper and Sandy. And you can also get it from our website, www.bornagainmormon.com. And uh, if you do can't afford that book, we will send it to you uh, for free. If you can't afford it, then you can pay for it. That's up to you. 
All right, because I was uh, all over town this week and I had the honor of visiting uh, a few churches and so did our church scouts, so I want to talk about them uh, for a second. First, there is a church we've always recommended and that is in Sandy. It's a small church called Sandy Ridge Community Church. The pastor is Pastor Travis Mitchell. And if you want to have a real down-to-earth pastor who uh, really knows the Word and lives the Word, uh, I would suggest that you go to uh, uh, Sandy Ridge Community Church. Um, that you, you can find out information on these churches by going to our website uh, where they're under recommended churches. Second, if you're in the Layton area, you might consider Family Worship Center at 55 North Fort Lane with Pastor Doug. Great spirit there and a certain love for teaching the Word and truth. Next, if you're out for a little more hip place to hang out and a little less conventional, check out K2 Church at 2100 South in Salt Lake City. The pastor is insightful and humorous. He has some great insights into things about life. Uh, the ambiance is very casual and relaxed, and K2 is loaded with tech stuff. So if you're into you know, the multimedia thing, you might want to try out K2. Also, uh, if you're in the Layton area, Elevation Church, which is a great church. It meets at a movie theater, the AMC Cineplex at 10 a.m. on Sundays behind the Tinseltown Theater. They're very youth-oriented or young adult-oriented. A fantastic worship, great preacher, uh, Pastor uh, Trinity Jordan, and organized child care. So it's a place you want to check out if you're looking uh, for something like that. Finally, let me tell you about a church that really I really enjoyed uh, as well, and it's called the Capital Church in the City. The Capital Church in the City is located at 10th East and 7th South right here in Salt Lake City. And I absolutely love this church, and there's a few reasons why. The worship was great, as they usually are in all these churches. There was tech, but just enough to emphasize the message. The pastor actually taught verse by verse out of, the, out of a book of the Bible, and that's what he does. And he did it in an applicable way. The people were into the worship, and it was a great place. I highly recommend Capital Church in the City um, with Pastor Troy. If you want to review, again, our recommended churches, you can go to the site. Finally, Lord's Word, the church we're starting uh, uh, July 15th at the Gateway Theaters, Cineplex 12 Theaters, from 9.15 to 10.15. We've had a name change. It's going to be Lord's Word. And below that, we're just calling it Lord's Word. We've taken away the name Church. And it's going to be a Christian triage for the re religiously disaffected. And so uh, we've done that purposefully because we want you to show up there and you can have some immediate care for uh, anything that you have experienced at the hands of people who have uh, used ecclesiastical abuse to, to, uh, to harm your life. We are looking for people who are really out there and searching. And this is not going to be the traditional family home church for you to go and get involved. Just stay in your churches like we said before. But if you're looking for somewhere where you can worship, pray, and hear the word taught, Lord's Word Church, July 15th from 9.15 to 10.15 at the Cineplex uh, Theaters at Gateway in Salt Lake City. I had a thought come to me the other day, and I think I want to share it with you, and we're going to kind of implement this and follow up with it over the show. One of the most often asked questions I get on the site is, how can I reach out to my LDS family and friends who are LDS? Or my best friend is LDS and insists that we are Christian just like he is or she is. What can I do? Let me introduce you to a concept we've just named, for lack of anything better, called the Church Challenge. And what I would suggest you do is you go to your LDS friends, or LDS, you go to your Christian friends, and you take one month and you exchange going to church with each other. 
You go to the LDS church on the first Sunday, you go to the Christian church the second, you go to the LDS the third, and you go to the Christian church on the fourth. What do you have to lose? You're just, I mean, the LDS, you have the truth. You can go and show them what the truth looks like and sounds like. Now, you can't go in and prep your bishop or prep the pastor and say, hey, you know, make sure you give this special message today because I have a friend coming. You just have to let it. That's, that's the rules of the church challenge. You just let people go. But Mormons, you go with your Christian friend and you sit there and you, and you ask yourself, is Jesus being taught is the Bible being taught? Are they worshiping God? And then, and then Christians, when you go to the LDS church, ask yourself those same, same questions. Is Jesus being taught? Is, is God and Jesus being worshiped? And just make a comparison. And I think that will help you out with your LDS friends in letting them see the differences between the two. Okay, just an FYI follow-up last week when we were talking about Zelf. I read where Joseph claimed that Zelf was a warrior who served under the great Onondagas. Okay, remember that? Uh, Robert emailed me and reminded me that there was an Onondaga County in New York at the time. That was something that just slipped by me. So while those guys were out on the trek to Missouri and they found the bones of Zelf, and Joseph said he was a great warrior under the great leader Onondagas, uh, maybe some of them didn't realize there was an Onondaga County in New York at the time. So add those whiskers to your beard. Okay, and finally, I've been getting some heat over my comment on tattoos last week. Little heat is, is, uh, is uh, to minimize it, I guess. Let me just say this. Just relax. Just relax, all right? My dad has tattoos. I love my dad with all my heart. It's a personal opinion, no different than saying uh, I, like, I like that person in long hair or I like that person in short hair. Okay, it has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with worthiness or liberty in Christ. Now, if a woman or a man wants to get ink and, and, and a tattoo, so be it. I don't care. I'm all for it. Whatever we want to do. I'm just trying to tell the young girls and boys like my daughters whose brains aren't done cooking yet that they need to think about this before they decide some permanent deal like that. That's my whole comment. And I said that last week, it's to the young teenagers who are influenced at this time by our society. That's the whole comment. So let's put that to rest. There are far more important things to worry about, like the email that we got, I mean, the call that we received last week, a very sad and sincere voice, a teenage sounding girl, who asked a question on the studio's uh, uh, message machine, why do people die? And in all seriousness, she said, quote, God took my mom away and, I, and considering I am adopted and don't even know who my real parents are, why would God take away the people we love? And so you didn't leave your name or a number to call you back, so let me answer your question here. God did not want you to suffer through the pain of your mother uh, dying. Um, God's plan was not for death to be a part of your life because death is never, ever a pleasant, uh, enjoyable thing. And so um, that all result resulted from our actions and from this world falling from God's ways and God's universe to falling into sin. And because of sin, suffering and death and all these horrible things that happen to people and may have happened to you and will, may happen to me. All those things occur because 
this world fell into a state of degradation, okay? But God said, it may have fallen. I'm going to send his, my son, and my son is going to come, and he's going to suffer for all the sin and death and degradation. And all you got to do is look to him and believe, and I will heal you. I will heal you through his blood, okay? So it wasn't part of his original plan. If people say it's part of your test here on earth or things like that, it's just not true. God does not need to test you that way. You, we could have lived under his care in a relationship with him full time, but um, we didn't because of sin, and that's the, the result. Okay, let's go and have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this airtime, for the people who are here. Uh, bless our audience, bless the camera operators, the people in the on the technology side, the operators, the people behind uh, their television sets at home and help us to be able to speak uh, truth and on the important things of your word and relative to Mormonism in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in part two of the Pearl of Great Price, a book of writings the LDS consider to be equal with the Bible. If you recall, we left off last week with one Michael Chandler, an Irishman traveling with a museum of Egyptian artifacts, stopping in Kirtland, Ohio, where Joseph had centralized the church. Some of the ancient fragments in Chandler's possession were brought to Joseph Smith, and he told Chandler that he could translate them, but that it would take some time. Before long, the Mormons pooled their refunds and actually purchased Chandler's entire exhibit, the mummies, the artifacts, everything, for a price of $2,400, which at that, that time was a lot of money. It would be like $50,000 today to buy these artifacts. And they presented them to Joseph and the church. I don't know that Joseph was behind the purchase or not. Joseph later wrote, quote, with W.W. Phelps and Oliver Cowdery as scribes, I commenced the translation of some of the characters of hieroglyphics and much to our joy found that one of the scrolls contained the writings of Abraham, another the writings of Joseph of Egypt, etc. A more full account of which will appear in its place as I proceed to examine and unfold them. Truly we can say the Lord is beginning to reveal the abundance of peace and truth. Listen to what Joseph Smith said, my friends. Listen to that quote. He said, Much to our joy, we found that one of the rolls contained the writings of Abraham, another of the writings of Joseph, meaning Joseph who was sold into Egypt. And he concluded, quote, remember I've talked about him using God's name? He says, Truly we can say, truly we can say, the Lord is beginning to reveal the abundance of peace and truth. If you want to know the historical setting of this, remember last week's where they had just gotten back from a very long track and the church was uh, being challenged by a number of things. I have tried to give Joseph Smith the benefit of the doubt on a number of things. We've supposed that maybe his intentions were good in compiling the Book of Mormon and offering it up as scripture. I've suggested that he was ex uh, subjected to extreme familial uh, abuse and very odd uh, domestic experiences as a child. But my brothers and sisters, this statement was outright fraud. It was complete and pure fraud. 
You have to understand that. And I'm gonna give you evidence on Pearl of Great Price part three. I'm sorry you gotta wait that long because I wanna give you some more history here. I'm gonna give you evidence you're not gonna believe. This man took those, those mummies and some scraps and some fragments and he said that they were the writings of Abraham and Joseph and that the Lord was behind this, okay? You've got to take this and use this as a measuring stick, a watermark of the truthfulness of Joseph Smith and the things that he proclaimed in his name. The evidence here in and of itself is enough to condemn everything Joseph Smith said after uh, 1835, if not before. I'll be, try to be fair and say everything from this point forward you've got to toss out. Going backward, we can debate it. Translation of the papyri started almost immediately. In addition to Cowdery and Phelps, another assistant was added to help them transcribe by the name of Warren Parrish. Joseph started by translating what he said was the writings of Abraham. Since knowledge of the Egyptian language had been lost for years, Joseph was throwing down some of the most original work of his life. He even undertook the task of forming an Egyptian alphabet and grammar series. And there was absolutely no knowledge of the Egyptian language available at that time. During this time, the church was facing some looming and serious issues. The Kirtland Safety Society Bank fell and brought Kirtland into economic chaos and eventual abandonment. So they were economically in a disaster and Joseph was responsible for that. Three witnesses of the Book of Mormon were excommunicated for apostasy at this time. The saints were expulsed from Missouri and a number of church leaders, including Joseph, were arrested for treason. In my uh, opinion, the church withstood some difficulties in large part because of this new credibility they were getting having purchased this, this paraphernalia and Joseph saying that he was translating it and what Joseph claimed that it was. If Joseph could translate these real and visible and tangible and viewable records of true Egyptian origin, then certainly, certainly he translated the unseen manuscripts or the unseen gold plates for the Book of Mormon. Therefore, the writings are true. Therefore, the church must be true. And all the suffering and difficulties in the world could never move a single soul away in the face of unmitigated truth. They... They could say that the Kirtland Bank had been robbed by Joseph, but if he had these actual papyri and was sitting there and translating, I mean, it was like they were able to watch him do the Book of Mormon too, and all their doubts of that could have been sealed. Let me explain. Actually, all their doubts could have been erased. Let me explain what this fourth book called The Pearl of Great Price is and why the LDS call it uh, scripture that's equal to the Bible. Many people don't know this. If you know it, I'm sorry for the redundancy, but it's important to understand what it is. The Pearl of Great Price is actually a collection of writings. It includes one, the Book of Moses, two, the Book of Abraham, three, Joseph Smith's revision of the Gospel of Matthew, which we find in the Bible, four, Joseph Smith's account of the golden plates and his early visions in obtaining them, and five, the LDS Articles of Faith, which are 13 statements Joseph spend, uh, penned in 1842 and uh, a letter to John Whitworth, I think Whitworth, and, uh, uh, who worked at the Chicago Democrat. So that's what the Pearl of Great Price is. It com it's composed of those five things. The Book of Moses is essentially a revision of the Book of Genesis. It takes much from the King James Version, but it adds some LDS flavor to very important parts. Much of the pre-existent doctrine believed by the LDS originates here. 
It's not found in the Book of Mormon. Ideas that the fall of man was a good thing come from here too. Moses also tells us that Adam was baptized and likens baptism to being born again or born of the Spirit. So these are very unique concepts that Joseph introduced in this thing called the Book of Moses. The next segment of the Pearl of Great Price, by the way, it's a title that's taken uh, from a parable of the Lord. He uses that word, the Pearl of Great Price, in the Bible in Mark 13, is the Book of Abraham. Okay, that's where the Pearl of Great Price gets its name, is from the Bible. Uh, this book includes three facsimiles of Egyptian papyrus provided by Chandler and is described as, quote, the writings of Abraham while he was in Egypt called the Book of Abraham, written by his own hand upon papyrus. Okay, If the Book of Abraham truly was the writings of Abraham by his own hand upon papyrus, it is the oldest, certainly the oldest document on the face of this earth that we could ever, ever hope to even have of the ancient writings. And Joseph claimed that it came through his special town in a mummy, and he got it, and he was able to uh, translate it. Wait till we do the comparison of the papyri and what he said later next week. Okay, it's just, it's just freaking chutzpah, man. He just, it's just amazing. It's just amazing he's able to do it. There are plenty of witnesses to Joseph actually translating these papyri written by the actual hand of Abraham, he said. And what a translation it must have been because very little was known about the Egyptian language at the time and Joseph had no training at all in this area. Egyptologists were just beginning to understand how to translate small writings in Joseph Smith's day. Now these papyri were lost for some time and then they were thought to have been destroyed in what I think was the Chicago fire. And so up until 1967 in the church there was no evidence of these uh, papyri that Joseph Smith supposedly had. Then suddenly in 1967 they discovered these facsimiles in the New York Metropolitan Museum and uh, it was a glorious discovery for the LDS Church because in 1967 there was plenty of valid scholarly Egyptologists around who could take those facsimiles, look at them and tell you exactly what they meant. All right? And the church was very ecstatic. And we're going to talk more about that next week, about what their findings were. Joseph claimed that Abraham had written a number of very important uh, insights on some very important issues. In the book of Abraham, we learn that there is references to a lineal priesthood uh, authority, which Abraham held before the Levites ever had it. That's unique to Mormonism. It's important to know that Joseph uh, translated the papyri on a number of different occasions. He started to translate this papyri of, of Abraham in 1835 through 1836, took time away, and then picked the translation up again in 1842. So you're looking at about six years later. There was a span of six years before he picked it up and started translating it again. A lot of LDS don't understand that. Equally important is to know that in 1842, when he picked up the translation process again, Joseph began to introduce a number of his more adventurous doctrines, I might say, uh, which truly define Mormonism today. 
uh, and which he conveniently said were uh, suddenly being translated out of this book. So what we have here is Joseph is, in 1836, stops translating from the papyri, and then he starts introducing these ideas and concepts to people, you know, like about uh, being gods and uh, matter not being created or destroyed and all this stuff. And then when he goes back to translating, he says, wow, this is also in the book of Abraham. And he writes it out as though, wow, look at what we found. These unique views include the idea that God sometimes justifies deceit. Uh, and you can read the, about that in Abraham 2, 22 through 25, if you don't believe me. It talks about eternal progression, principles of astronomy, a pre-existence of spirits that's reinforced, and the way deity governs the heavens. All these things come out of the book of Abraham. The book of Abraham gives insight into God's plan, quote-unquote, for organizing the earth, details on Lucifer's rebellion, an account of the war in heaven, thoughts on free agency, the plan of progression, and how a man could go on to become a god himself. Kolob is introduced in the book of Abraham. Plurality of gods is introduced here too, as is the only referential teachings about African Americans not being able to hold the priesthood. The Matthew revisions are simply Joseph Smith, this is the third part of the Pearl of Great Price, are simply Joseph Smith uh, going to uh, the book of Matthew and correcting 55 verses of that. And um, you, then we go to the Joseph Smith history, and it's the final and revised account of his early visionary claims and should be read in light of his earlier presentations of what he said he experienced in his life. So in the Joseph Smith history, of the Pearl of Great Price, we have Joseph giving us the final revisionist history he wants everyone to believe, and that is what is in their doctrine, and that is what the Mormon Church teaches now. But all you got to do is go back like we did at the beginning of this year and look at what he originally said, and you can see there's great difficulties. Finally, we have the 13 Articles of Faith, which are 13 summary statements written by Joseph Smith to help people understand what Latter-day Saints believe. As a side note, whenever a Latter-day Saint claims that Mormonism uh, teaches that we are saved by grace, I just quote them, Article of Faith, number, someone's got to help me. I think it's uh, three. Uh, we believe that all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Okay? That is the antithesis of being saved by grace. Okay, so when Mormons come up with you and say, well, we're saved by grace too, uh, you know, we agree with the Christian church, just quote them, uh, uh, Article of Faith, which is in the Pearl of Great Price, and say, you believe you're saved by obedience to laws and principles. And you've won the argument right there. Well, maybe. Um, as a side note, oh no, let's see. Uh, I read nothing here about faith and faith alone in Jesus, about grace any of that in the Articles of Faith. Okay, we're going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, uh, 801-973-8820. Next week, we'll discuss what those, fac uh, what those facsimiles contained and what they really said and what the Egyptologists, the experts, say the, the thing was. Remember, all that doctrine that makes Mormonism unique that I just explained to you, Joseph said came from these mummies, these artifacts, uh, these fragments, and then next week I'm going to tell you what the experts, and they are experts, and what they say, and I'm going to show you comparisons between what Joseph used and what he said he was given. Okay, uh, we have a ton of emails, and I've got to cover some of them while the operators are getting um, the lines on. Uh, number one, this is from George. He's LDS. 
He says, I love truth and pray constantly for it. Been studying for the past seven months and with every bit of information gained, I rejoice. Since I was a young man, I could not understand how my father and other church members could believe in Jesus Christ and dislike or reject other people because of their faith. Doesn't make sense. I was not allowed to associate with friends and neighbors that were not members of the church. Terrible. Anyway, enough complaining. Keep up the good work. Keep going, George. Keep going. You're on the road to truth. We have... uh, Jill asked about a good church in Logan. Jill, uh, try uh, Cache Valley Bible at 1601 North, 400 East. Pastor Eldon is the pastor there. It's a great church. Um, This is from Amy, who says, My name is Amy, and I never really know how to write an email to someone I don't know. It's a little awkward. I'm just going to start out by saying that I was born in the covenant and raised in the church my entire life until I was 18, and my parents couldn't force me to go anymore. For as long as I remember, Mormon doctrine was drilled into my head. So naturally, I thought I was a bad person for not believing it. There are some teachings I'm really grateful for, but the other things just seem way off. I just didn't feel right about it, but I felt guilty for ever thinking it might not be true because I had been a part of it since I was born. A good friend of mine met with you a few months ago and gave me your book. I'm so glad of it. It made sense to me. I don't want to sound lame, but it gave me hope. It really did. I just want you to know how to break it to my parents that I don't want to be a member of the church anymore. I'm not that I'm really against the Latter-day Saints. It's just not an organization I can be a part of. Uh, And she thanks. Listen, uh, I know there's a lot like that. That's a representative email, and uh, it takes courage. But the Lord is with you. Continue to search. Continue continue to seek, and he will open his ways. Pierre, a Christian, says, I like your show. I watch it every Tuesday. But when you promote going to a pub, I am disappointed. The Bible-believing Christian going to a pub is a bad testimony. Romans 12, 2, 1 Thessalonians 6, 22, Psalms 1. Love in Christ. I think sitting, doing whatever is a bad testimony too, man. You know, Jesus went to the pubs. If Jesus came to the earth today, he'd be at a pub. He'd be at a tattoo parlor. He'd be at wherever the people were. So let's just relax and uh, get out there and, and reach the people. Uh, let's see here. Uh, just Kenny, a Christian, gave a great uh, email. Uh, Laura made a really good comment. She said, Jill, a couple uh, called, and she made an illogical fallacy. She stated that Joseph Smith was, if Joseph Smith was just full of hokiness, then why are there 12 million members of the church today? Well, a good answer to that is by her logic, we should all be Muslims because Islam has the largest number of members worldwide. And that's a great point, Laura, because uh, I should have thought of that. And, you know, because something is successful in this world does not by any way, shape or form make it right. Uh, And then we got one from Jill, who is LDS, and that thing is just scathing. I hope it's not from the same Jill. Very long um, and then another guy, Jamie, asks, what if people only learned about the history of Hitler from Hitler himself? Look outside of it. And I like that. So think about that. You know, when the, the winners usually write the histories, but it doesn't necessarily make the histories right. Okay, we'll see if we have to pick some more of those up later. We're going to Dee Dee, first time caller in Springville. Dee Dee, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. Oh, how you doing? Is this Sean? This is. <laughs> I haven't tried... Uh, call in here for weeks. I have um, two questions for you. First, I want to say I love your show, and it can be quite comical at times, but um, I would like to know how come, where did the LDS faith get uh, the atonement 
and the and the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed and he sweated. They believe that that's their the sacrifice, the blood that he shed, and not on the cross. Right. And then I would also like you to explain to me there. Of all the sins that cannot be forgiven, blasphemy the Holy Spirit. Could you explain that to me, please? Yeah. Um, well, I'll try. The, uh, the doctrine of the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe, church historians call and correct me, I believe it came from Joseph. Uh, most, almost 98% of everything they believe did. But it could have been kind of propagated by Brigham and others along the road. But we have a show called The Cross which is uh, back in 2006. You can archive it on the website and you can watch the whole thing where we present why the cross is what it is and how the Bible supports the cross, the cross, the cross. And then Mormonism's doctrine in their twistianity, which we called it, just twist that a little bit and make themselves unique and say it was in the garden. So, but I believe it started from Joseph, uh, Joseph Smith. The second question on blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. You know, I really believe that blasphemy against the Holy Ghost only can occur when you have uh, spiritually, been spiritually regenerated, you know Jesus Christ is the Lord, you know in your heart that uh, what He was, what He did, and the Spirit has testified to you, and you willfully, not by mistake, not because you're weak in the flesh and you do something wrong, but you willfully and consistently say, I deny Him, I don't like what He's done, I don't like who He is, I'm going to turn from Him. I believe, in my opinion, that's what blasphemy uh, against the Holy Ghost is. I, we get some emails sometimes that are really disturbing from people who think, you know, I said this, I, 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 I challenged God when I was angry at him, and I know maybe I've blasphemed against the Holy Ghost, and that's just the devil working on you. I mean, you really have to have a, a consistent, um, purposeful, driven message against Jesus that you at one time knew uh, through the Spirit and were spiritually reborn. So that's what I believe the, uh, the definition could be. Okay, thank you, Sean, and keep up the good work. All right, thanks for your call. Uh-huh, bye. Bye. We're going to Devin in Magna on line two. Devin, you're on the air. All right. Whoa. You're on the air. you got to turn that TV off. All right, my, my, uh, my question slash statement would be is you mentioned the 13 articles of faith. Yeah. In reality, there was originally 14 articles of faith and most LDS people don't realize that, and when you bring that to their attention, they get mad at and think that you're trying to offend them. And what was the 14th? I don't remember offhand. I got the uh, original document from a pastor friend of mine, and I was kind of disturbed. I waited for it. I've never heard that. Because the faith, it's a he was a relative of President Benson. Okay. Well, we'll have to check that out. Good information. What else? Well, the other thing I was going to ask is that we get a lot of LDS people that by nature are good, loving, sincere, devoted people. And they honestly believe that they're trying to please God, and they may, they may be. And they think that by doing that, that that's going to earn them salvation. And that any time a Christian or a street preacher, for example, goes out and says, hey, turn or burn, they think that they're up to trying to offend them when they're trying to give them the biblical Jesus of the Bible, not the one of the Book of Mormon or the devil's brother or anything like that. And they say, well, you're not speaking truth and love. But Jesus said, the truth is going to offend many in my name. And being that you're an ex-Mormon, I'm curious as to how you feel about that when you see street preachers out there that are 
you know, saying, look, you trust Jesus or you're going to die and go to hell. I just know it's in the buts about that. And they bring the attention to LDS people that there are a lot of holes. Yeah. Well, it seems to me um, that it's just a matter of uh, degree. Um, you have street preachers with a certain uh, demeanor, and they're able to reach a certain amount. And it seems like street preachers with a, a little bit better demeanor are able to reach a little bit more, maybe. And it just and there may be a time where you just have a, a, a law of statistical regression where their effectiveness just goes away completely. But it seems like it's in degrees to me. And uh, if I met a street preacher as a Latter-day Saint, maybe that person could have opened my eyes with something they would say. Because it was a radio preacher who opened my eyes when I was in a car. So I don't, any ministry outreaching to people with Jesus is, is going to be good. Uh, they're going to reach somebody. The question is, are they doing more damage or less? I mean, I, I, there's people who say, we've brought, you know, hundreds of people, hundreds of Latter-day Saints to the Lord, and yet they don't say we've driven, uh, you know, 10,000 away at the same time. So it's a matter of degrees, and, and, and you can look at it on that spectrum, and that's why I'm very much against uh, people going to the stalwarts at the conference center and parading around and things and screaming and it's just in, insanity to me because they're taking however many thousands that place will hold and making them just can't hate what Christianity is about. Yes, they might find the one or two uh, people there who are kind of oh wow, but and maybe that's all it's for. And I'm, I'm not be, I'm trying not to judge too much, but I just think that there's some things you can do that aren't going to offend so many. Well, the thing is, and my question on that being that you're next Mormon is that the thing that I hear on a consistent, regular basis, yeah. and there is actually, a, just so you know, there's a, a Mormon who's very high in the temple, who's good friends with the street preachers, that was actually out at the gay pride parade this previous uh, weekend, and he was out there with the street preachers holding banners, you know, pretty upset that he saw a LDS uh, gay Mormon float uh, he was kind of upset about it, and a lot of people were like, well, the prophet's going to be mad at you because you're here with the street preachers and, 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 and such. And he's like, you know, we as Mormons are claiming to be Christian, yeah, we're perverting God's word on, on you, know, well, you know, away from the world. But all, I, all I can give you is my opinion, and my opinion is I don't think, and this is going to, oh, God, I can hear the emails are clicking right now. I just don't think Christians should be uh, all involved in political issues. I just think our, our call is, is spiritual, and my thing is, I just, it's personal, it's me, but I just think, you know, hey, we take our eyes off the cross, and we put it on legislation, we put it on liquor laws, and we put it on abortion, we put it on gay rights. This world's going down. The scriptures tell us it. It's going down. We aren't going to stop it. We're the salt of the earth. We can st we maybe hesitate the Lord from destroying it, but let's be the salt of the earth and preach Jesus on the cross. But politically, man, I really don't care. I just don't. I think that our call is to t bring people to the Lord and let the world go the way it's going to. And so the Mormon out there at the gay pride parade, you know, to me, it's as ridiculous as the Christian out there at the gay pride parade. You know, if they're sharing Jesus and Jesus alone, good for them. Fine, go to the parade. But if they're out there bashing, I mean, why not be and bash every liar, every person who's at a bar, every person who goes, and anything. I mean, it's just endless. Let's do what Jesus said, you know. Let's love. Let's be an example. That's my views. We're going to move on. I'm in trouble enough. All right, brother. Thanks for the call. God bless. God bless you. We're going to Ham in Los Angeles. Ham, you're on Heart of the Matter. Ham. Ham. I only have one question. Well, actually, I have two beefs with you. 
Two beefs and your name is Ham? Yeah. This is endless. Go ahead. I have two beefs with you. Okay, go ahead, Ham. One, you told that poor girl who, who wrote an email and said that why did my mother die? Yeah. And you told her that the reason why she died was that the earth had fallen away from God's word. Yeah, now, not God's word. It fell away from God. No, 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 my bad. You discount the fact that virus and infection exist. Why do they exist? All of our mothers... Ham, why do they exist? Why do they exist? Why do viruses and infection exist, Ham? Why do disease and infection exist? Yes. My friend, you and I exist because disease and infection exist. Because we are the product of... Everything that happens and our success on this planet exists because not only because God's word and not only because God told us to live, but everything else occurred before us. Ham, I think you broke the rule I established very strongly last week. My friend. Okay, what's your next beef? Sean. Seriously. What's your next I have beef? to admit, why do I have what, a mole on my foot? Because of you have a mole on your foot. I don't know why the mole's there, but but death. Ham, ham. I've made my presentation. I've made my presentation. Ham. Sin, death, disease, germs, suffering, misery, poverty, famine are the result of sin. Okay, that's that's my stance. Okay. All right. Now your next question. My next question is. How could you possibly think that the LDS religion is, you know, promulgated by a lie? <laughs> if a man thinks that God talked to him, then isn't that the same as all other men thinking that God talked to him in the Bible? Uh, well, I guess in your thinking it would be that, that when a man believes no, God no, is... No, 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 no. God talks to everybody, of course. Kay. But... People that write it down in the Bible yeah. were there. Well, I look at consistency, Ham. I look at the consistency between the prophets of the Old and the New Testament writers. I look at the consistency of that relative to the Quran and to the Book of Mormon and Pearl of Great Price. And the consistency. Now, the book, which was written over thousands of years by different authors in different languages, it has a consistency that support each other by guys who didn't know each other. But when you take those extra biblical writings... Uh, History book is written by multiple folks that didn't know each other. I see. I see. Well, Isn't so it? when they found the Dead Sea, wrong? when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls that completely supported Isaiah, we we just when they I, found the Dead Sea Scrolls. We realized that other folks had written the Bible before the folks we realized had written the Bible. What are you talking about? Those that we realized was that the Bible was older than we thought. Ham, you know what? Modern people. Ham. Um, I have to go. I love the fact that you're from L.A. You must be watching a streaming, and I appreciate it. I'm in L.A. I'm from Salt Lake. I am LDS, and I do not discount your opinion. because I You should, because my opinion that. is completely... But, you should discount my opinion completely, and don't... And because it completely uh, goes against everything you believe. 
and, and, and this willy-nilly, oh, let's love each other, and I accept your opinion, and you accept mine, is just, uh, it's just moral relativity, and it's just cowardice. Stand up for what you believe. Hey, Ham, if you believe that you're LDS, then you should tell me, Sean, we belong to the only true church on the face of this earth. We're the only ones who have priesthood authority. I will go to the celestial kingdom, Sean, and you're going to either outer darkness or the lowest level. I disagree with your opinion is that you you ex my kind and is be, I don't because why anybody's kind no because you exclude and you well you know what your religion excludes it's your religion that excludes I didn't start the exclusion no our prophets have already said that there are good things in all religions well sure there's there's good things in in a in a in, in everything it's the yin and yang but it doesn't that's why we said that. Ham, you know what? It's it's kind of a wasted argument. There's other people who want to call. Thanks for calling, man. I'll talk to you again. Got a girl. Bye-bye. He called me a girl. Well, I consider that a compliment. All right. Let's go to Mark in Orem. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. How you doing, Sean? I, uh, there's uh, obviously truckloads of evidence. You've provided plenty of them which last year through your show, and you're continuing to supply, supply plenty of ev evidence that the Book of Mormon is certainly a 19th century uh, work of fiction by Joseph Smith. You, right. You show that next week with the Book of Abraham and the, and the troubles there. Let's say if if the church were to come forward and finally admit, okay, we're gonna we're gonna the Book of Mormon is false. We're gonna not follow that anymore. How do you think? Do you really think that the church could survive something like that when the keystone of their religion has been pulled out from under them? Could they sustain themselves as a religion and continue? My my opinion, which is worth about whatever, uh, is that I think there would be a fallout, but I think that the rewards and the strength that the Mormon church would receive from doing that in the long run would just far outweigh all this stuff they try to do to keep people believing. Uh, I don't know if they'll ever do it, but you know, there's going to be a great fallout from the true believers of Mormonism. But I believe there are so many. I think there's more than the majority that question all this stuff. And I think that Gordon B. Hinckley or the prophet following him could say, you know what? We have long been trying to answering a lot of, answer a lot of this stuff. What Joseph Smith did got us going for whatever it's worth. But it's time we face the facts from General Conference. The facts are the Book of Mormon uh, was probably a figment of his imagination. The Pearl of Great Price was fiction. And we are going to stick with the biblical edicts that we know are true and use those other things uh, uh, no longer. And I really believe that if the prophet, who they call the prophet, said that, he could slowly back away from that position and Jesus could take its, his rightful place. I hope that happens, but, you know, I'm a big dreamer. Right. <laughs> it's a good question, though. Well, like you said there would be a, a good fallout. I'm sure there would be a major fallout, but do you think they could continue under their name, the Church of Jesus Christ? And how, I just don't see how they could separate that and continue to flow and try to, to be closer to Christianity, move towards Christianity. I think they could keep their name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, without a problem. You know, Then they truly would be able to live up to their name. I, there's no problem with that. You know, I, Who cares? There's a lot of different churches, a lot of different names. They just join the body of Christ. Right. I think it would be a wonderful addition. So, calling out to the leaders. Let's get, get it on, brothers. General <laughs> Conference. Let's start announcing it. I'm waiting. Take it easy, Sean. Thanks. All right. Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. We're going to Susan, first-time caller from Ogden. Susan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Susan. Hi. You're, you're on the air. Okay. Um, my husband, and this is an odd question. My husband and I run a business. 
And we were approached by a Mormon couple that wanted to purchase our business. Uh-huh. And we told them, <clears throat> to make a long story short, we came back and said, <clears throat> we, we didn't want to sell our business. And, and the Mormon couple said to us, um, we don't understand. We've prayed and prayed to Heavenly Father, and we've asked him, we've, we've called it forward, and we've called it forward. And I'm wondering what that means, that they're calling it forward, if that's some kind of a ritual that they do. Uh, in all my life, I've never heard that phrase. Audience, if anyone's heard that phrase, I can think of the movie, Pay It Forward, and maybe they just kind of did a twist on it and they're using it. I've never heard that phrase in my life. Anybody here? We got a lot of lifelong Mormons. Everyone's shaking their head no. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> maybe it's the LDS version of Name It and Claim It. I don't know, and I thought well, maybe she's gone to the temple and asked, asked for my... Not unless uh, something's happened in the temple where, uh, you know, it's been a number of years since I've been there. They're starting to include the call it forward ritual, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Sorry. Was that? All right. You take care. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. We're going to Ryan in Kaysville on line one. Ryan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. First of all, I, uh, I agree wholeheartedly when you say that there should be a separation of church and state. Uh-huh. I, I can't breathe enough when you said that um i can't i i i don't watch many of these shows but earlier you were mentioning uh the egyptian sarcophagus and mummies with uh, joseph smith and i noticed that there's a masonic temple with some egyptian-esque uh decorations outside and i've done a lot of research in religion and philosophy and things like this and I've noticed a lot of very close connections with the Masonic uh, religion and the LDS religion, and uh, I've even heard rumor that before Joseph Smith created or claimed to have seen the Lord, he was actually Masonic, and uh, I was wondering if you at all had even looked into that idea. Yeah, uh, Joseph's brother Hiram and his dad were in uh, masonry. I don't know if that, I think it predated the first vision, but Joseph was only uh, 14 or 15 when he had the first vision of claiming to see the Lord. So I don't think that that he was a mason prior to that. We do know when we get to Nauvoo, we're going to get to Nauvoo soon in our church history reports here on the show. And we're going to go into masonry again and talk about the influence that it has had on uh, the Mormon uh, temple uh, rituals. And it was profound, um, and not only even profound on the rituals, but also on their culture. There's a lot of things in uh, masonry, uh, 19, I mean 1826 masonry, uh, that you can find carries over into the present-day uh, Mormon nomenclature, uh, words and things that they use just in their regular church services. So uh, we're going to talk all about that. But I don't believe that Joseph uh, got into masonry. Uh, heavy and he was in it maybe prior to Nauvoo if memory serves and then once he got into Nauvoo it became a full-blown deal. Yes, I, I don't understand a lot of what uh, the Masons were about. I do know that they've been around for a very long time along with many other religions. Yeah, Mason, Masonry actually they, uh, they, they propagate uh, this idea that they go all the way back to this man named Hiram Abiff and the building of the Solomon's Temple. But uh, most experts agree that that is probably a fabrication. It gives them some validity by giving themselves a history. But in reality, they think masonry really got its legs in uh, France or in Scotland in, I think, like the 1500s and the 1600s. But we'll talk more about that then. 
I'm going to learn something new every day, I guess. Yeah, we do, don't we? Hey, a great call. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Jason in North Salt Lake. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jason, you're on the air. Hey, sorry about that. Hey, do you remember a guy named Mark Hoffman back in the 1980s? Boy, you, uh, the, you're, you're bringing up a... Salamander land, uh, the Salamander letter and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You don't remember that? I do remember it. You remember how he uh, proposed the documents to Gordon B. Hinckley and Hugh Peacock and Dallas Oaks, and you know what? They were fooled. They, they bought them off them, and they were tricked. Uh, how come God didn't revelate to him and say, hey, these are real, or these are fake? Yeah. They got tricked. What's up with that? <laughs> I, I like the way you talk. It's very, it's very endearing. Listen, um, I was going to talk. In fact, I had a whole printout on the whole Mark Hoffman thing. I've read several books on it. Uh, just to be fair, at the last big trick that, that Hoffman tried to pull, I think it was with the Oath of the Free Man, uh, I think Gordon B. Hinckley said, nah, we don't want it. And that's what made his house of cards crumble, I think. So uh, they could say, well, in the end, our prophet did step up and say, uh, no. <laughs> But the thing that's really interesting about Hoffman, and I wasn't going to cover this, but since you brought it up, and no one's brought up Hoffman for a long time, is that it, he is the bitter fruit of the seeds planted by Joseph Smith so long ago. And wow. the, the things that Joseph Smith, like with these um, uh, facsimiles and saying it says this and says this, and then uh, doctoring them, he doctored the documents, and then coming up with all this, Hoffman did the very same thing. He was, oh, yeah. all he was was a con, and he conned the same way. It seems like the seeds that Joseph Smith planted in his character and what he introduced to the Mormon church continue to ripen and fall off their tree. And I've said that about the polygamy. These young teenage wives, what do we have? Elizabeth Smart up there with this guy who says he was a prophet, and she's following this authoritarian figure, and he marries her, you know, and consummates it. All this stuff continues to fall from the tree. They have a lot of good fruits. But this, this stuff continues to go, and I think it will continue. So sorry I'm ram, ram, rambling on that, but I think that your point's really good. Really quick, there are three heavens, and I can, I can prove it right now. Okay, if, if I go to heaven above me, I say, wow, this is great and wonderful. I love it up here. But if I go to the abyss, I'll say, wow, this is horrible. But if I go back on earth, I'll say, this is, this is heaven better than the abyss, but I'd rather be on the highest heaven, which we're with the true God there's your three heavens. Earth, heaven, and earth, heaven, and the abyss. There's your three heavens. Woo! Well put, my friend. You take care, buddy. All right, thank you. All right, bye -bye. see you later. Bye-bye. All right, uh, another, we have Ray, first-time caller on line three from Linden. Ray, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. I uh, really appreciate your show. I've been watching now for a couple of months, and... Uh, Gee, I really like it, I, I gotta tell you. Oh good, thanks Ray. Well, um, I, gotta, I gotta challenge you here tonight, Sean. Um, basically the challenge is this, you say that... Uh, Can I say something before you speak? Go ahead. Usually when people repeat my name, usually, I may be wrong here, they're LDS, but go ahead. Okay, Sean. Um, <laughs> Are you LDS? No, I'm not, I'm a freelance uh, Christian, basically. All right, good, go ahead. You sound different on the phone than on TV, but that's okay. In any case, the challenge is this. Uh, you, you were uh, talking about an article of faith that the LDS people have. Yeah. Which talks about, um, I guess, their obedience. 
Isn't that right? Uh, it talks about obedience saving them, yes. The, the obedience factor, right. Um, i got to ask you a question, and this is the challenge. Okay. How is it that we worship God? How is it that we worship Him? How is it that we actually worship God? Is it, is it raising our hands and praying and, and twirling around and seeming uh, like we're in a different state of mind? And, and well, there's a whole bunch of ways people worship Him. They worship Him by giving of themselves, giving of their money. They worship by doing the twirling around and things that they want to do. They worship Him through prayer. They worship Him by living honest, obedient lives. I'm getting to that one. That's what you wanted me to say. That's, those are all uh, forms of worship. Right, right. Well, it was kind of like what Jesus did in the garden, right? It was uh, the Father's will, not His will be done. Right, okay. So wouldn't you then foresay that our greatest form of worship is our, is our obedience, is our willingness to lay down our will for God's will. Sure, why not? I'll agree with you on that. I know, I know where you're going, but go ahead and finish the argument. Well, I, I guess I just wanted to get that out, because i, I got to tell you, as a freelance Christian, I've been going around to a lot of different churches. i got a lot of friends that are LDS. I'm, uh, you know, I, by birth I'm a Catholic. I'm not sure what a freelance Christian is. It almost sounds like you're a freelance husband. I mean, how are you a freelance Christian? What is that? <laughs> it means that I go around. I get, basically, I, I want to see what everybody believes and does. You're, you're ecumenical. Eh, call it what you want. Listen, the, the difference in what your argument was is that salvation is not predicated on obedience. Worshiping may be, and that may be the true manifestation of worship, but salvation has nothing to do with obedience because we couldn't be obedient. That's why Jesus came. He could. He overcame. He fulfilled the law. We couldn't. Do you understand the difference? Okay, so is salvation lip service? Is it just a matter of me saying, okay, Jesus, I believe in you? Yeah. Yeah, because what, did, what kind of works did the thief on the cross do? I'm sorry, could you say that again? What kind of works did the thief on the cross do? Well, the thief, uh, no, he got what his just deserts, basically. Boy, I, you lost me on that one, my friend. I don't know what you mean, but I, I just, I mean, the, really the bottom line point is salvation comes by faith, and once you uh, have exercised faith, you will show your faith and your love to the Lord uh, by your obedience and by your sacrificing your will, and that's just the model of all Christendom. You, should, you know that if you're a freelance Christian. You have to have heard that from everywhere. I have, I have, but I, I just sometimes I get the feeling that uh, the um, evangelical crowd is into the lip service just a little bit too much. I may agree with you there, uh, my fr I really might. I'd love to talk to you. Come to Squatter's Pub. We're ending the show, though. Thanks for the call. Okay, love your show. Okay, bye-bye. Brian, first-time caller from Orma. I'm sorry we're out of time. Uh, just want to remind you tonight, Squatter's Pub, uh, downtown Salt Lake, Heart in the Park, 070807 at Sugar House Park. Heart on the Sea is coming up. Go to the website, and we'll see you next week on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind. And I won't be coming out, I'm going in. This man's awake.
A storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light filled monkeys start to. 